Helps if I turn it on, doesn't it? Let's stand together and worship.
Kiedyś Trzeci noc You freed the captives then You're freeing hearts right now You are the same God You are the same God You touch the lepers then I feel your touch right now You are the same God You are the same God Church, it is It's good to be reminded That that same God, right? That same God that we read about in the Old Testament and the miraculous things he did through people, through his people. And then you read about what he did through Jesus and his followers in the New Testament. That same God is still working today. I, I don't know about you, but, but I've found this, this current series that we're in talking about, God, where are you in the midst of all of this craziness? I found it to be a very timely question to ask and to contemplate. And I, I bet you have too. You know, we, we can sit and we can look at the world and, and, and here recently we can, you know, over the last couple of years and then even in the last couple of weeks and it's like, all right, what's next? <laughs> what crazy thing is going to happen in our world next? And it seems like the hits just keep on coming, right? And in the midst of that, I have to confess to you, there have been times where I've paused and said, God, where are you? And when I sing a song like this, I'm reminded that he's the same God. He's the same God that wants to work in your life and in my life today. He is faithful even when we're not. We're going to get... Uh, to experience communion here in a second. And there are tables around the room and you guys are going to be free to, to get up and go partake in communion and give your gifts, your offering uh, back to the Lord today uh, as you worship in that way. But I just want us to think for a moment and to pray for a moment and to contemplate for a moment. Where Where is it that you see God working? That same God working in your life, in your friend's life, even in the middle of all the chaos. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, we thank you for today. And I thank you for the opportunity that we have as a church family this morning to pause, to stop, to sit, and to contemplate, to think, to pray, to just be silent for a moment. And to realize that you're the same God that created it all. You're the same God that created us. And what you want for us, what you desire for us, is beyond what we can even see in this world. You gave us a picture of that in your son Jesus. His life. His testimony, his words, his actions, his love, the way he lived, the way he loved, 
the things he said. God, may we understand them. May we follow them. May we read them. May we memorize them. May we fall in love with the Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. May he be real in our lives today because he's that same God. Thank you for that reminder. He's also that same God that went to the cross and gave himself up for us. Holy, blameless, innocent man who gave his life, allowed his body to be broken and beaten and his blood to be shed, not because of any of his sins, because he was sinless, but because of our sins. Thank you for that reminder today as we take this communion. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I worship you. 
about the beginning of 2020 that we first heard that song new song now it's like an anthem right it's gotten us through uh, a lot of stuff and a reminder that God's in charge have you ever found yourself in a conversation with someone who didn't speak English I'm talking about not a word of English but we all know how to handle that, right? You just talk slower and louder and suddenly they will understand everything you're saying to them. At least that's what we think. That's how we function. You know, probably one of the most interesting things of the strangest things of that trip to Ukraine that I mentioned last week in 2010 was in Ukraine, nobody except the interpreters speak any English. 
Most places that I've traveled, and I've been to several countries, at least somebody speaks a little bit of English, even if it's broken, especially in service industries. Like you can go into a restaurant almost anywhere in the world, and even if you don't speak their language, they can understand enough that you can figure out, you know, cow, cow, white cow, or, or fish, you know, not in Ukraine, not in Ukraine. So, so when uh, Marsha, our interpreter, would go home at night, if we decided we wanted to go out for uh, a late dinner or a late night snack, she had shown us where the restaurants were, but here's what she did. She showed us the restaurants that had pictures on the menu because that was desperately needed because we could look and we could point point this is what I want because otherwise there was no telling what we were about to get it it, it was a weird feeling walking through uh any of the marketplaces and there there were nice big marketplaces big big market lots of people but they had these other like flea markets all over the place but they were underground at every intersection, you didn't cross at the light. You crossed under the light. At every intersection in the cities we were in in Ukraine, they had these underground sidewalks that crisscross through major intersection. And that was down below there was where they had the vendors. And it's just concrete. And it's about a, about an eight foot gap and about an eight foot height of these tunnels. And so then when you put stuff on the sides of the walls, it's coming out and you've got a very little gap and you're walking through there and to walk through those tunnels at night and not hear a single word of English, not understanding anything that anybody is saying is a weird, weird, I'm out of place kind of feeling. And we did that for a week and one of the, on the Sunday we were over there, I was preaching at a Russian church. Amazing. In the middle of Ukraine, I was preaching at this Russian Christian church and once again, me and Phil Roberts and Charles McGibbon, who were with, we were the only people on campus that spoke a word of English except for the interpreter. And it's a weird feeling standing up and preaching to people and having them look at you like they've got no idea what you're saying. All right, maybe that's not so weird. That's kind of usual. Um, but but it's a weird feeling when you're so out of place that you don't know what's going on uh, around you. And, and to have people staring like at you like you don't fit in or maybe like you're standing in front of them naked. It's just that weird feeling. And it's also strange to me. It's just it's some strange things. It's strange to me that when you take a speech class, what are the teachers tell you that if you're nervous when you stand up to speak just imagine what imagine everyone sitting in front of you is sitting in their underwear who thought of that that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard of in in my life but it's interesting to me also that if you feel like you're improperly dressed or in front of people when you feel uncomfortable or embarrassed it's a terrifying terrifying thought see in this series where we've been talking about where are you God we've been looking at Jesus qualifies our service of others with our service of God and how they go together and there are six specific acts of service that Jesus describes last week we talked about two of them last week we talked about feeding the hungry 
and giving drink to the thirsty. And today we're looking at welcoming the lonely or helping those that are lost find their way <clears throat> and about clothing the unclothed. But, but I want to let you know, and if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew 25. We're going to be moving around some other places as well. But I want you to know, it's not as simple and cut and dry as it may seem. There's different terms that are used for this thing when Jesus said for taking care of the lonely or the lost. Really what it comes down to is, where are you, God? I feel so out of place. See, if we can think of it that way, all of us can relate. Because every one of us have felt out of place, haven't we? Have you ever felt forgotten? Or abandoned? Or on the outside looking in of a certain group, a certain club, a certain school, maybe even a certain church? And it's uncomfortable? Have you ever watched people engaging with each other and maybe having a great time and you wonder why you can't seem to break through the wall and get into the action, be part of the in-group? Maybe it was when you were growing up and you were an only child and you spent a lot of time alone and it just didn't feel like you wanted it to. Maybe you loved it. Maybe it was because your family moved a lot when you were young and so you kind of consistently kept finding yourself in in a new school and having to make new friends and you never really found a group of your own. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a home with an alcoholic parent and you felt like you always were covering for them, always trying to make up excuses. Maybe it's just simply that you're introverted and you don't like, and you never like being around a lot of people. It makes you uncomfortable. Maybe you were surrounded by people who seemed totally different than you and it Felt impossible. Have you ever been the outsider? If you have, and I think we all have at times, then you can understand Jesus saying, you'll be blessed when you take strangers in. Because there's probably been times in our life where we would have given anything for someone to bring us to the inside. Because the bottom line is, it's no fun feeling like a stranger. Sometimes you might feel like a stranger or an outsider or lost, and yet you're in the most familiar place you've ever been. Think about Kevin McAllister, Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. In his own house. He knew where everything was. But everybody left and forgot him. And suddenly he's home alone. And even in his own house, he finds himself a stranger. It's no fun feeling like a stranger and being all alone. I wonder what Matthew thought as he's writing this stuff down in Matthew 25. Because here's the deal. Matthew knew full well what it felt like to be an outsider. He understood that completely. He he understood it because for all those years, that he had worked for the Roman government, a Jewish man working for the Roman government, collecting taxes from his Jewish family and friends and and skimming money off the top and making money off of them and nobody liked him. Matthew knew full well what it was like to be an outsider. 
And, and then there's that day that Jesus walks by him. And undoubtedly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that Matthew, because of being out in the city, had already seen Jesus out and about and kind of knew who he was and didn't think Jesus knew who he was. And, and, and so he's seen all this going on. And then Jesus walks right up to him and says, follow me. And he did. The Bible says he left everything. Now, you talk about leaving everything. He's a tax collector. That means he left the, the table and the money and everything and followed Jesus. Now, as a tax collector, as a tax collector, especially in those days when you don't have automated services and you don't have, you know, pay online and all that, Matthew had to be a meticulous record keeper. He had to just be the, the guy that just sees and notices and remembers and writes down everything. In fact, if you were to watch, if you choose to watch some of the chosen, uh, the portrayal of Jesus' life, when you get to the episode about him calling Matthew, you see this guy that's always carrying this little tablet around and he's writing down everything. He, he's writing down everything. He's writing down how much everybody pays. He's writing how much everybody owes. He knows everything. He's watching what they're doing so that if you've got a side hustle going on and you're made, he knows. And he, and he's going to tax you on that. He's meticulous about everything. I wish he'd been that meticulous about recording why he chose to follow Jesus. I wish he'd given us the details. Because there, there had to be some that we don't get in the story. Jesus just walks up to him, kind of like out of nowhere. Matthew doesn't even know that Jesus has recognized him. He's felt all alone. He's felt like the outcast. And Jesus comes up to him and says, come on, follow me. I'd love to know why he did. The guy with the details should have given us some details. But he didn't. He just followed. And he went from being a tax collector who felt like he was on the outside to being a disciple who still was an outsider. Oh, yeah. Uh, among the group that Jesus had already called, <laughs> Matthew didn't fit in. He's the tax collector. They're blue-collar fishermen. Like Peter and Andrew and James and John. Oh yeah, there's some rough things in the past that are going on. There's a form, what most consider a former prostitute named Mary that's now kind of part of the group following along. And there's Simon the Zealot and others that just kind of had some pretty ordinary, but, but a tax collector? That's breaking the mold because the tax collectors, they're at the bottom of the barrel. Nobody, nobody liked him. They were Jews who were working for the Romans and collecting taxes. But here's the deal. Here, the, the Jews knew they were traitors, but the Romans knew they were traitors. They had nobody that was really in their camp. And the bottom line is it's no fun feeling like a stranger when nobody wants you around. Then right after, it's really cool, right after, right after Matthew just packs it up and follows Jesus. 
and endures some of the same, uh, some of the same being pushed to the side by the disciples that he'd felt like, by the other disciples that he felt like it was by the, the public, the crowd when he was collecting their taxes. He follows Jesus and the first thing that he does is invite Jesus over to his house for dinner. Seemed like the logical thing to do. And so he's going to have a dinner party for Jesus and the disciples and his friends. But who are his friends? All he has as friends is other tax collectors and sinners. That's what the Bible says. So he decides to throw a party. There's a party at Matthew's house tonight. Come on over. And so they get there. And here's what Matthew wrote in chapter 9 and verse 9. As, his, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said. And he did. Why did Jesus choose him? Maybe he thought he would be that great biographer. Or did he just know Matthew was living on the outside and needed to get on the inside? But, but then here's the irony of that party that I was talking about. Verse 10 says, and it's the very next verse. The very next verse. In Matthew's own gospel his own recording of what happened he goes straight from follow me and he did to while jesus was having dinner at matthew's house okay he's inviting him over a lot of tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples and here's the problem verse 11 when the pharisees saw this they asked the disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call, uh, not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's this courtyard full of people at Matthew's house and the Pharisees stroll by. You guys know who they are, right? The, 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 those, the religious elite that thought they had all the answers, the people who would brag about how spiritually in touch with God they were. And if you didn't understand that, they would explain it to you over and over again. And they would make you a list of things that you needed to do. <clears throat> Some of which were actually in scripture, but many of them were not. They would add their things to it. That never happens in the spiritual world today, does it? So Matthew's first response as a follower of Jesus is to invite a bunch of lost people. Invite a bunch of people that don't fit in to someone who might help them fit in. So just check this out. Jesus invites an outcast to come and be part of his group And then Matthew, the outcast, invites Jesus to come and be a part of his group. It's kind of a novel idea, isn't it? And this Matthew party starts, and then the Pharisees get there. And they begin to complain. What's he doing with them? And Jesus gives three amazing answers. First thing he says is, understand this. Understand this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Those people that are wondering and need direction, not those who know or think they know where they're going. See, think of it this way. Well checks, 
physicals, those are important. Those are important when we're, when we're babies and they are really important all our life, but they become more important again when we get a little bit older that we want to make sure we know everything that's going on. Well, checks are, are really important. But you don't call 911 for a ride to your annual physical. Those two things are not the same thing. It's, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And Jesus said, I'm here looking for those who need 911. I'm not looking for those who are just making sure everything's good. The Pharisees. Those that are making sure I got it all right. The Pharisees. I'm here looking for those that need an ambulance to a place of spiritual healing. Because with, with broken people, dealing with broken people can get messy at times. But it's really hard to rescue people that you're intentionally avoiding. It's really hard to share Jesus with those that you're trying to stay away from. Where is God? Where is God when people all around us are hurting and lost and abandoned? Guys, the most important question is, where is the church when those things are happening? Because for whatever reason, as Jesus was going back to be with the Father, he allowed his disciples and encouraged and taught them and got them ready to establish the church to be the ambulance for hurting people, to be the hospital for broken people, to to bring people in that the world had shunned. We're here to be God's ambassadors. I know that there are some people that I just even watching tv and social media and some people why are we why are we even talking about the ukraine not really we don't have an interest in that it really doesn't matter and there's probably even some church folks saying why are churches that we're praying for their ukraine you don't have anybody over there you don't know anybody and and they say we don't need to be dealing with that in church because those are political issues and this is a personal issue this is a see Political issues are personal. People's lives. People's lives. There are literally millions of people that are lost and running for their lives in Eastern Europe right now. Hiding in some of those same subways that I walked through. And we need to pray for those people. We also need to pray though. I want to put this in here because I want you guys to support them. We need to pray for some of our together partners. That together thing that we do every year and we take up all that money and we say we're going to use this. Two of our together partners are right on the front lines of all this. There's ProM International, which is an organization in Poland where we've got trips planned there this year. We've got trips planned to ProM. They do a lot of basketball camps in the summer, but that means they've got dormitory space. And guess what they're filling those dorms with right now? Refugees and in particular orphan kids that have nobody. That's one of our partners. And so it is very real and it is very close. Another one of our together partners is Mulberry International, the group that I was over in Ukraine with that spends their whole days, nights, weeks working with kids, especially on the streets of the Ukraine that have no place to go. And Jesus said, Guys, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's those that are sick. 
And so then we put it into the context of this message he gave and, and that Matthew recorded in chapter 25. It's when people are lost. You need to bring them in. When people are struggling, wondering, confused, not fitting in, we need to bring them in because... They need a doctor. Look at the second thing that Jesus says in Matthew 9 uh, in verse 12. He says, figure this one out. Go and learn what it means. I love that. Go and learn what this means. Because Jesus is about to quote from the prophet Hosea, who said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, Jesus is making a point with these pharisaical leaders because they knew all of the Old Testament stuff. They knew their history and things like that. And Jesus is making a point. Yeah, I know that stuff too. In fact, you guys who think you know, why don't you go and find out about this? It's from a prophet Hosea. And he said, and it's when Hosea recorded, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And God is interested in you sharing mercy not your sacrifices, which get, let's make sure we get the context of this. Jesus is saying this after a question from the Pharisees. And what do the Pharisees love to do? They love to tell you how much you needed to sacrifice for what you had done that was wrong and who got those sacrifices. And a lot of times, most of the time, if it was a financial sacrifice, it ended up in the pockets of the Pharisees. They love to talk about sacrifice and how, how, how messed up you are and how, how much you need to get right. And here's how to do it. And Jesus throws him a curve. First of all, he goes to an Old Testament prophet and then he gets the quote of, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, sacrifice is an important part of the Old Testament. But there were times, in fact, a lot of times, when in the Pharisees' minds, they viewed their sacrifice as a payment for a future blessing. If I give this sacrifice, if I sacrifice this dove or this lamb or this money, then, then I'm going to be blessed with some kind of landfall, some kind of great reward. That never, ever happens in the modern church, does it? There's never a case where we say, okay, God, I put my $10 in the offering box today. You can deliver that $1,000 check to my house anytime you want. Go and learn what the prophets have said. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, what, what Jesus did there, he used, he used this prophet Hosea to tell the people, I'm not interested in your gift. I want your heart. I want your heart because our heart is shown in how we show mercy. And the third thing he said, the third thing he said in response to the Pharisees was, I've not come to call the righteous. I've just come to call sinners. Jesus was looking for wanderers and he's at the house of one he's called to follow him. None of us are righteous. We're all sinners. What Jesus is really saying is, I didn't come for people who think they had it all together. I came for people who knew they were lost. And they're looking for answers. So, where are you, God? I feel so out of place. And Jesus said, help those people. Take them in. As you do unto the least of them, you do also unto me. And then the second part of, of what we're looking at today is, it's good. where are you, God? I feel so exposed. 
I was naked and you clothed me. You know, and if it was written by a southern gospel writer, he would have recorded, I was naked. Because that's how we would have said it, all right? He <laughs> said, I, 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 there's this, this qualifier. There's this qualifier of, when have you felt that way? And, and, and we've got to be careful here because, because there's a good possibility, I hope a rather great possibility, that most of us are never going to be caught in a crowd naked. We're not going to be that way. So we can look at that and go, oh, that apply to me. In fact, when's the last time you walked up on a totally naked person? Anywhere. There may have been a few that have, but that's not what Jesus is really getting at here. We've not been or caught, nor we have caught anybody in that situation. But what about this? What about the dinner party that you went to that you thought was casual and everybody else got the message it was formal? And you walk into the room and you suddenly realize, oh no, I'm inappropriately dressed. I, I don't fit into this situation. Or maybe it was all the way back when you were young and you were in school and all the other kids in your class seemingly had all the cool clothes and, and you didn't. And whatever the case, it's a miserable feeling to be in a crowd feeling exposed by your clothes or, or in some cases, the lack thereof. Do you, do you remember the story that maybe you read in school? Do you remember the fable about the emperor's new clothes? Do you remember that story? This, this, this king, who was just the emperor who was all proud of everything he had, wanted to show off I had. Well, the word got out and, and two swindlers came to town. And they arrive in the capital city of this emperor who spends money like crazy on clothes. And they posed, they pretended to be weavers and they convinced that they would supply him with these magnificent, magnificent clothes. But that what makes them really special is that they are invisible to those who are stupid or incompetent. And, and, and so they're playing on him. And so they pretend to, to weave these clothes. They set up the looms and, and, and this, uh, this succession of officials. And then the emperor himself come to check on their progress of his clothes. And all of them see the looms and they see that the looms are empty but they don't want to admit that they're stupid and uneducated because supposedly those are the only people who can't see the clothes. And so they go along with the ruse. And finally the weavers report that the emperor's suit is finished and they bring it to him and they, they actually act out or mime dressing him and he sets off in a procession before the whole city. And now the whole city sees him and the townsfolk uncomfortably go along with a pretense of not wanting to appear inept or stupid themselves until finally a young child blurts out that the emperor is naked. And everybody still keeps quiet. Everybody's been fooled, but they don't want to admit it. And so they keep up with the ruse. How much of that's going on in our world today? That we see things we know aren't right, but I don't want to say anything. I don't want to look like the oddball. 
I don't want to be the dummy that speaks up. When, when what you're wanting to speak up is the obvious. It's the answer to a situation, but you've been convinced to keep it quiet and let the emperor, your friend, your neighbor, the hurting, walk around naked and ashamed. Now, far from this made-up fable, John recorded a story of Jesus caring for a woman who desperately desperately needed clothes it's found in the beginning of john chapter 8 she'd been caught this poor woman had been caught she'd been set up and then caught in the very act of adultery and in that culture in that time a, a woman that was caught in the act of adultery was to be stoned to death and in certain situations, depending on the circumstances, she basically had no rights. But in a lot of the situation, the man was to be stoned as well, but not always. And so they've set this woman up and, and they've caught her in the very act of adultery. But understand, it wasn't as much a plot against her as it was a plot against Jesus. So after setting her up and catching her, they bring her and they throw her at the feet of Jesus just to see what Jesus is going to do just to see how he's going to respond. And so after hearing their charge of unrighteousness and sin against her, Jesus gets down and begins to write in the sand. We really don't know what he wrote. We really don't know what he wrote. A lot of people have speculated that he actually was writing out some of the sins of the men that were gathered around, kind of calling them out without calling them out, writing them out, I guess you would say. Hey, he's down, maybe he's down there doing that. Maybe he's writing things from the Old Testament prophets about all of us being sinners, but he leaves them with this. Okay. Anyone here who's never sinned, you go ahead and throw the first stone. Suddenly rocks begin to hit the ground. Not thrown at her, but just dropped at the feet of the ones who realize they too are a sinner. And they walk away. And then there's this telling moment. There's this telling moment where Jesus bends down and says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. And he says, well, then neither do I accuse you. Neither do I accuse you. Neither do I condemn you. Now, it, it, this is so important here. It's really important to see what Jesus said to her. First, notice he did not say, have a good day. Go back to what you were doing. He didn't say, there's nothing wrong with what you've been doing. He didn't just say, hey, it's just sex. Don't worry about it. He didn't say that anywhere. He said, your accusers are gone, and I don't condemn you for what you have done. Now, whether they had allowed her to cover herself with a, a blanket or sheet, bed sheets, or a robe, it, it still represented filth. The filth of her circumstances as she's brought to Jesus in front of all these people. And she's laying there, standing there, completely covered in shame and disgrace and sin. And Jesus' final words to her, her are, Go and sin no more. And immediately he removes her robes of filth and replaces them with robes of grace. 
and righteousness. He holds firm to God's design that sex is reserved for marriage. But he tells us, I don't care where you've been. I can clean you up. Just don't go back to that filth and live in that filth anymore. We're probably never going to come upon a completely naked person who needs clothes, provides clothing. But we all, we all know people that need to be clothed in grace. Because we all needed to be clothed in grace. So just like we can understand what it means to be left out of the party, to be abandoned by a situation, we all know what it feels like to realize that we're improperly dressed to stand before the King of Kings. And we don't need to recreate a wheel for providing for those who need clothing. Those places exist all around us that provide food and water and shelter and clothing. There are churches and agencies all around the world that are taking care of those things. We partner with a lot of them to help provide those things. But at the end of the day, we need to help people understand how they end up in those situations and point them to the only one who can take them out of those situations. And to point him to Jesus. Because the beauty of this garment of this lady here in John chapter 8, the beauty is for us, it's for all of us, and that is the garment of grace is a one-size-fits-all. It's for all of us. Let me, let me finish up by doing a little bit of what Jesus did. Let me take you back to the Old Testament and see if the correlation is as obvious as I think. In the next to the last book of the Old Testament, The prophet Zechariah writes from the direction of God. And and God shows the prophet Zechariah a beautiful image of Jesus coming to clothe the world in grace. Hundreds of years before he would ever come. If you want to look it up, it's Zechariah chapter 3, the very first verse. Here's what it says. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest... And which is the image, the, the foreplaying of Jesus, who would be the great high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And look at verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his dirty clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. And I will put fine garments, garments of grace on you. That's why Jesus came. That's the importance of all of this. That's whether someone is hungry or thirsty or lost or without proper clothing. The answer to all of their problems is Jesus, who came to clothe us in grace. So guys, the bottom line, here's how we need to take this away. We always say, you know, love God, love people, let's go change the world. Here's what we need to do. As we're out there in the world, while we're in the world... We need to be on the lookout for the left out, and we need to point them to Jesus, because that's the answer. We need to be on the lookout for the left out, 
And we need to show them the way. We need to point them to Jesus. Would you guys stand? just want to encourage you as we sing. If things have maybe been a little uncomfortable, you found yourself in some uncomfortable places and you felt improperly dressed spiritually, that as we sing, there is a way maker who wants to provide a way for you. And if you need to talk to someone, Jason is back in the decision room, just right over here. There's some other staff that can be over there. We'll pray with you. Maybe you just need to pray right where you are or come and kneel and pray, whatever. Just let's get a little bit closer to where God wants us to be and let him provide a way as we worship this morning. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you work. time here we invite you to stop out at the i'm new wall and pick up a special gift that we have for you or uh, if you got questions about things that are coming up next steps in your journey on uh, the people over in the next step room would be glad to help you out i uh, hear a couple quick reminders uh, especially young moms uh, this week is Rise Up, which is our ministry to moms of preschoolers. Uh, and both, and we now have a morning and evening group. The morning group will meet Tuesday morning uh, at 9 o'clock. 
here and the evening group will meet Thursday evening at six o'clock. So Tuesday and Thursday rise up this week. Next Sunday, uh, our, our student ministry is getting ready for their trip to Guatemala. They'll be having a, a, a breakfast next Sunday morning. Uh, it'll go on during first service, between the services, during second service, between the services, and they'll start cleaning up uh, around third service time. But it's a great time. You, they said they're going to have to go boxes. So if you want to do everything and get some stuff to take home afterwards, that's great. There'll be some tables over there. But I encourage you to support our student ministry uh, in that next week. Uh, and then Pathways for March is a couple weeks away. It's it's two weeks from this Tuesday night. You can sign up online. And Jumpstart, which is kind of the elementary school version of Pathways, uh, is on the 20th. So a couple weeks from today. Uh, the previous one, they just said they just had eight kids, uh, maybe 10 kids, come through Jumpstart. So we're going to be seeing a lot of baptisms. Uh, and that's exciting as kids and their families uh, work through that process together. Let me leave you with this as you're headed home. Maybe the best thing you can take away from today is to spend some moments thinking about that moment that you know Jesus clothed you in grace. And then go love God and love people. Change the world. We'll see you guys.